This morning we're reading from Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured sinners from sinners such hostility against him, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. All right, good morning, everyone. Happy, happy New Year's Eve. Um, so kids, where are you guys at? Raise your hands up for me. All righty, uh, put your hands down. Okay, today's New Year's Eve. And because it's New Year's Eve, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is how a thing that we want to do in the new year, it's, it's really not different than anything we've wanted to do in this year, but uh, is, is look to Jesus. We want to, we want to focus on Christ in 2024. And to help you do that, I want to encourage you, uh, because a couple of my friends encouraged me this week. This week, I was hanging out with, with Mr. Daniel and Mr. Sean, and they both shared thoughts with me that were really encouraging to me. And so I'm going to steal those thoughts from them and share them with you. So first of all, what does New Year's Eve mean? What does that mean? What does it mean today is? Levi? The day before New Year's. So what's New Year's? Eleanor? The first day of the year? The first day of next year. So you're telling me today is the last day of the year. So I'm going to go to sleep tonight. Tomorrow I wake up and it's a new year. Right? Okay. The thought that Mr. Daniel shared with me is how great is it that God designed the world and designed time in such a way that there are things like days and weeks and months and years, right? Like, have you ever had a bad day? How many of you have had a bad day before? Okay, have a bad day, you go to sleep. What happens when you wake up the next day? You feel better. It's a different day. Like you get a whole new day to do life again. And so like you have a bad day, you go to sleep, boom, new day. Works that way with years too. Like maybe maybe your life, you have a bad week or a bad month or even a bad year. Well, tonight you go to sleep, you wake up tomorrow, it's a whole new year. That is a gracious gift of God to us. Thought number two was from Mr. Sean. There's this verse in the Bible that says God's mercies are new every morning. And Mr. Sean pointed something out to me that I had never thought about before. He pointed out the fact that morning is different for everybody else, right? So today, my alarm went off at 6.20 a.m. How many of you got up at 6.20 a.m.? No one, (laughs) right? Daniel, So that means at 6.20 when my alarm went off and my eyes opened up, boom, God's mercies were new for me at that moment. What time did you guys get up? Marshall? 
7 o'clock. Who else got up at 7 o'clock? Right? All right. So for you guys, God's mercies were new at 7 o'clock. Who else? Who got up at a different time? Eleanor? 8.30. Whoo, sleeping in. Who else got up at 8.30? Awesome. See, God's mercies are new for us personally, right? It's not just that like, you know, everybody wakes up at the same time and God gives out new mercies that day. He's giving mercies out to me at 620 and you guys at seven and you late sleepers at 830. And if any of you slept after that, then, right? God's mercies are new every morning and every day we get a new morning to get new mercies from God. Like that's an amazing gift to us. And so this year, right, we're going to go to sleep tonight. 2023 is going to end. Tomorrow we're going to wake up. 2024 is going to begin. There's going to be 365 new days of new morning mercies from God. And so it's my hope for myself, and it's my hope for you, that 2024 is going to be a day where those new morning mercies push us closer to Jesus together. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this passage together this morning. Father, we thank you that you are good and that you you made us. You know what we need. You know that we as your people need limits. We need days and weeks and months and years. And every day we need new mercy. And so we pray that, that today that your spirit within us would enable us to to draw from your word encouragement as we move from one year into a new year, that that we would approach it with with new resolve and with new intentionality to to consider, to to look to Jesus, uh, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that it's, it's possible for us to lay aside weight and sin and to run with endurance because of who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, grown-ups, I'm sure that you all remember it like it was yesterday, but January 1st, 2023 was actually a Sunday. We started this year on a Sunday, and we're going to end this year on a Sunday. Um, I didn't know the calendar worked like that, but apparently it did this year. You probably all remember the sermon that I preached on January 1st, but just in case there's one or two, I want to remind you that we were in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and so I just thought it would be, you know, kind of cool. It would make sense if we started the year in Hebrews and ended the year in Hebrews, and so uh, the passage that I picked, I think, is fitting for us. I know it's fitting for me because uh, this time of year is a time where we're kind of naturally thinking about, about things that we want to change, you know, like maybe goals that we have or, or resolutions or, or or however you want to frame those, right? We spend time thinking about the ways in which we want next year to be different from this year. We're giving time to consider, like, what's, what's the most important thing for me to do? And so for maybe some of you, like, you want to, like, exercise more or, or eat less sugar or be on your phone less or spend more face-to-face time with, like, your spouse or your kids or, or be, be more organized, 
right? Like those would all be good pursuits. Those would all be good things to, to, to strive for in the new year. But it's possible for us to pursue all of those things and not pursue Jesus, right? It's, it's possible for us to pursue those good things in a way that's actually dishonoring to Jesus. But I want to submit to you, and I think that the author of Hebrews would submit to you, that if we pursue Jesus, if we're running after him, if we look to him like this passage calls us to, uh, I think it will actually enable us and empower us to actually pursue all those other good things we want to pursue. Um, In fact, I think maybe the only thing that looking to Jesus would not help us pursue more would be sin, which, like, that, that sounds like a good thing to me. So, Uh, This passage today is telling us to to do three things. There's three commands for us. Command one is to uh, lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. Command two is run the race with endurance. And command three is consider Jesus. What we're going to see is that one of those commands, and I'll let you guess which one you think it might be, is the key to the other two. So let's look at our passage. The passage uh, Rhonda read for us, it begins with the word therefore, which is like pretty much every passage, right? It's the author tying what he's going to say to what he has just said. In Hebrews, this is a a, a turning point. The author has been talking in in chapter 11 about the faith of other people, and now he kind of shifts and and turns the corner to start to talk about the the faith of his readers, like our, our faith. And that's why verse 1 begins with, therefore. He's, he's turning to start to tell them to do things with their faith. And so he's going to give us two commands at the beginning. But first, he's going to give us the, the background for those commands. So he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So he's, he's looking back to what he's just talked about in Hebrews 11. He told the stories of, of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents and Moses, Israel at the Red Sea, Israel at Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. And then he said, like, I could talk about more people. So he's, he's given us this, this long list of people who, who ran the race with endurance, who pressed on to the end, who had great faith. And then he says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And because we're surrounded by these witnesses, since we're surrounded by these witnesses, we should do two things. Number one, we should lay aside the weight and the sin which clings so closely. And number two, we should run the race with endurance. But... Before we get into those commands, we need to think for a minute about the connection between this cloud of witnesses and these commands he's about to give us. And so let's imagine for a moment that we are, are running a race. Like that's this, this metaphor that he's using here. And so, so, so you're running a race. Now think about who are the people on the side that are watching you as you run that race, right? You're you're tired, you're towards the end, you want to quit, but there's these people and they are cheering you on. Like, who is that? They're they're spectators, right? They're, They're people that are watching the race. It's not people who are running the marathon with you. And that's important because I I think that's the picture we get in our heads when we think about this passage. When we think about the fact that there's this great cloud of witnesses, so we should run the race with endurance. I think we kind of picture we're running this race. There's this, you know, these like lines of flags along the side and like all these people from Hebrews 11 are standing there and they're like, yay, run, do good. 
And so we run. That's it. But I think that that's not the picture we should have exactly. And there's two really important clues that this passage gives us. First, these people in, in this cloud are described as witnesses. Witnesses is someone who has done two things. Number one, they've seen an event happen. And then number two, they're able to tell other people about that event. And so, for example, think about a wedding. We're going to have a couple of those fairly shortly at BC. At a wedding, you've got people on the stage. There's a bride and a groom. They are not witnesses of the wedding. They are the people that are getting married. Then you have people around them, like best man, maid of honor, groomsmen, bridesmaids. And then you have the audience. There's a difference between like a best man and a maid of honor as witnesses of that wedding than than like people in the audience, right? So like, who do you think 10 years from now is going to remember details about that day? Is it going to be people that were like part of it, that were involved, that were invested in the relationship? Or is it going to be someone who like got there late and, you know, were arguing with their kids on the way about what they had to wear to this wedding and like they didn't want to be there? Right? The people that are actually involved in that relationship, that, that are invested, that are engaged, like those people are a different kind of witness than just some random person who saw it happen but then is going to forget about it moments later. This cloud of witnesses are people that have experienced this life. They've ran the race before, and so they can tell other people about it. The second clue we get about this cloud of witnesses comes to us in the first command. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The clue here is the word also. He's saying like in a way similar to all these examples of faith we've seen in chapter 11, let us also, like them, like they did, like we've seen in their lives, let us lay aside the weight and the sin. The point is that this cloud of witnesses, it's not made up of people who are just spectating, right? It's not made up of people who have never run a race before that are just, you know, coming to see what it looks like. This cloud of witnesses is made up of people who have gone before us, who have run the race, and because of that, uh, they are able to encourage, through their presence, those that are still running, right? Like, how cool would it be is if after the end of a marathon— when you're exhausted and your legs don't work anymore, they make you go back and line the sides towards the finish so you can tell people, like, hey, you can do it. Like, I made it. I'm here. I'm tired. I want to go home. Hurry up. The spectators are people that have run the race. So because we have this cloud of witnesses as an encouragement to us that we can finish, that we can press on, that we can endure, he gives us these two commands. Number one, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the author of Hebrews here is telling us to get rid of two things. Thing one is every weight. Thing two is sin that clings so closely. So first, he says, uh, you know, get rid of every weight. In order for us to be in any position to fulfill this second command, to run with endurance, we've got to get rid of these two things. We've We've got to strip them off. So uh, he's telling us to lay aside two different things. First, it's, it's every weight. This is a little confusing, right? Because the second one is obvious. Of course, we need to get rid of sin to run the race. But here, it's just, it's just every weight. I think he's describing anything that would hinder us 
from running the race that God has for us. And this is important because these aren't necessarily sinful things. Right? He's going to address that with the second thing we get rid of. We get rid of sin second. First, we just get rid of the weight. Like These might be really good things. But if they hinder us from running the race that God has for us, there's something the author of Hebrews says we lay aside. And so, for example, at, at BC, through, through emails, through mail, through Facebook messages, through text messages, through phone calls, we get inundated. We get like an onslaught of ministry opportunities. And we say no to 99% of them. Actually, we we say no to like 3% of them. We ignore 94% of them. 95, 96%. There you go. Because if we spent all of our time doing all those other things, we would not be running the race God has for us. And it's the same way in our individual lives. there's, There's always stuff for us to do. Anytime we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. And so we need to make sure that we're actually running the race that God has for us. And that involves laying aside all the weight that would hinder us from doing that. Next, he says that we need to lay aside the sin which clings so closely. A long time ago, I memorized this verse in, a, in another translation. I don't remember what translation it was, but it, it translated as like the, 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 the sin which so easily entangles. And I like the ESV so much more because I think it, it more clearly and more accurately captures what sin is really like. You see, like, with, like, sin so easily entangles, I think I pictured something like, you know, like you're running on a trail, and there's a root sticking out from the ground, and if you're not paying attention, you're going to catch your foot in it, and you're going to fall, and it's going to hurt. Like, there's something kind of outside of you that can entangle you. But it's actually sin which clings closely. It's not, sin isn't something that's external to us. Sin is something that's, that's internal to us. Rather than something external that can trip us up, it's really more like, a, like asthma or, or a side stitch or shin splints. It's, it's part of us that hinders us, that, that harms us, that doesn't allow us to run the race that God has for us with endurance. It's something that, that we need to root out, to get rid of, to not have within us. Paul says we got to, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. John Owen explains that what he's saying there is that we need to be killing sin or sin is going to be killing us. The author of Hebrews says, lay aside every sin which clings so closely. So we've got to lay aside all the weight. We've got to lay aside all the sin. And then there's a second command he gives us. Let us uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here he's giving us this image of, of the life of faith as, as a runner who's, who's running a race. And he calls us to run with endurance. He doesn't say run fast. He doesn't say run hard. He doesn't say, you know, finish the race even. He says run with endurance. Like that's what we're called to. We're called to press on with endurance. To keep running. To, to, to make it to the end. To not give up no matter what. And it's important for us to know that the author of Hebrews is writing to people that were considering just that. 
Like their life was difficult. They were suffering. They were facing persecution. They were finding out that that the Christian life really wasn't that easy to live. And so they were considering going back to their old way of life, thinking it used to be easier when I didn't have all this stuff to worry about. They were thinking about throwing in the towel and quitting. So he's saying, don't quit. Like keep running, run with endurance. Get rid of the weight that's making it more difficult. Get rid of the sin that, that, that's, that's crippling you, but keep running the race. And we all need to hear this. We all need this encouragement. The reason why the Bible encourages us to press on is because God knows who we are, right? He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're weary. He knows that we're not, uh, we're not unlimited. We're, we're finite. We only have so much energy. He knows that the, the Christian life that he's called us to is difficult. And so he encourages us to press on. And so right now, we should be asking, how in the world do I do this? Right? How do I lay aside Wait. How do I lay aside the sin? How do I run this race with endurance, which seems impossible? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 2. He says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So this verse gives us the means for the command in verse 1. So it gives us the how. How do we lay aside the weight and the sin? How do we run the race with endurance? By looking to Jesus. And just in case we've forgotten who Jesus is, he describes him for us. He says he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. This means that he is the creator of it, and he is the completer of our faith. So Sometimes the word founder here is also translated as, as author or, or source. And so what he's saying is that our faith like, has its origin in Jesus. And that's true both on kind of like a, a cosmic level and also on a, a personal level. And so for, for cosmically, right, it's true that Christianity, our faith, like it doesn't exist without Jesus. Right? Christ is right there in the name. If you take away him, like, it's not a word anymore. It's something else. Like, our faith has its origin in Jesus. It's also true for us personally. Like, my faith and your faith, like, is from Jesus. And so, we recently were in Ephesians 2, and we read this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, no faith. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this 
is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So our faith, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, is a gift of God to us in Jesus. Jesus is the founder of our faith. Our faith has its origin in him. Like that's, that's where it comes from. He's also the perfecter of our faith, the author of Hebrews tells us. And here he's not talking about perfection in the sense of like moral perfection, as in like freedom from sin or freedom from any kind of flaws. Like Jesus is those things, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about perfection in the sense of completion. Like he's not lacking anything. He's saying that not only is Jesus the the author of our faith, its originator, he's also the one who's going to perfect it, who's going to complete it as well. Like he's going to bring our faith to completion. So he he started it and he's going to finish it. In Hebrews, he's the perfecter of our faith because he's the the better high priest who offers a, a once for all perfect sacrifice and whose new covenant ministry actually enables us and empowers us to live a life of faithful obedience. And so Jesus, the author of Hebrews is telling us, has graciously founded our faith, and graciously he's going to carry it to its perfect end. But there's more, right? He's not just the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is also the perfect example of it. The author of Hebrews says that his, his, his trust in the Father, his perfect faith in the Father enabled him to endure to the end. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So like, this is, this is telling us what Jesus has done and what he's doing right now. So what has he done? He, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So he endured the, the agony and the torment, the pain of the cross. He thought little of the shame that was associated with death on a cross. How? How did, how did he endure? How did he go through it? How did he make it through that? For the joy set before him. He trusted his father. He, he, he did his father's will. He endured the cross, uh, despising the shame, because he knew that there was greater joy to be found in doing what his father wanted. And his trust in the father was, was completely vindicated. Right, we see it in the last part of verse 2. What, what's he doing now? Well, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the, the opposite of shame. He's in the place of highest honor. Philippians 2 says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the author of Hebrews would say to us, like, you want to lay aside the weight? You want to lay aside the sin which clings closely? You want to run the race with endurance? Well, then look to Jesus. He is the the source of your faith. He's the one who's going to carry it to its perfect end. And he is the best example of it. So if you need help, you can find it in him. But how? How do we do that? Look at verse 3. Consider Jesus. He's essentially saying the same thing again. Like the means for doing these commands is, is, is by looking to Jesus. But this time he's going to give us command. Like we must consider him. Like there's, there's no wiggle room here. But he's also a little more specific for his audience. Right? Remember what, what they're experiencing, what, what they're struggling with. They're struggling because they're suffering. 
They're, they're facing persecution. So the author of Hebrews specifically points them to Jesus' example in that. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. His point is that Jesus has, has endured far more than they have. He suffered far more than they have. Like he is the example for them to look to. And then he, he, he reminds them and us, like, why, why should we look to Jesus? Why should we consider him? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So if we want to, to lay aside the weight and the sin and run the race with endurance, look to Jesus. Consider him so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. And then he drives home the point in verse 4. He says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Like they've, they've suffered, absolutely. They've, they've experienced persecution. And as they've struggled against sin, but, but they haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding their blood. His point, again, is that Jesus has suffered more. He's endured more. And looking to him is how we endure. And now, I want to clarify this. Right? Verse 4 is not some sort of like Jesus suffering trump card. Right? Like if your friend comes up to you and they're like, man, I've had a really hard week. You don't say, well, are you bleeding like Jesus was? Because otherwise, just suck it up and try harder. Like that is, that is not his point. Like this is an encouragement to them, not a rebuke. His point is that Jesus has suffered far more than we have. That means he knows what we're going through because ours was less than his. Like we don't ever get to a point in suffering or our struggle to, to endure and run the race where ours is harder than his. Like he's pressed on past where we give up. Because of that, he's able to help us. He's able to sympathize with us. He's able to empower us towards obedience. He is with us always. And so looking to Jesus is how we lay aside the weight. Looking to Jesus is how we lay aside the sin. Looking to Jesus is how we run the race with endurance. So the author of Hebrews tells us, he, he commands us like with the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus to consider Jesus and not grow weary. That's what this passage has for us this year. I want to give you three practical things that you can do to, to, to try to consider Jesus more in the new year. This is not exhaustive. It's just a place to start. But, but before we get there, I want to clarify one thing. If you are here this morning and you're somebody who, who has not trusted in Jesus, you haven't put your faith in him, then you are someone who, who needs to look to Jesus for the first time. Like to trust in him uh, with faith. Because uh, we read that passage from Ephesians, right? You are, you are dead in your sins if you haven't put your faith in Jesus. But God sent Jesus for you so that you would have a way to move from, from death to life, from darkness to light. And so put your faith in Jesus. Turn to him. Look to him. Consider him. He is your only hope in life and death like we sang about earlier. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, like we need to keep looking to Jesus. He still is our only hope in life and death. And so three things, three ways to, to practically look to and consider Jesus. Number one is read the Bible. These are not going to be revolutionary tips. 
Okay? I'm going to keep it simple. Read the Bible, right? That's step one. Like, you want to see Jesus? The easiest place to find him is in Scripture. The whole thing, it's about him. So pick a spot and read it. Get more of the Bible in your head. That's step one. Step two is to do something with it once it's in your head. Because of the world we live in, because of social media, our phones, all kinds of other things, we are incredibly distracted people. What that means is that we can read the Bible, and then two seconds later, we can pick up our phone and we're thinking about something entirely different. And whatever we read is gone. So read the Bible, step one. Step two, consider what you've read. Meditate on it. Think about it. Ask questions. What does this passage tell me about Jesus? What does it tell me about who he is and what he's done? How should this passage kind of stir my affections for Jesus? What should I do about this? What, what can I tell other people about this passage? How is this passage good news for me? So, so read the Bible because that's where we find Jesus. And then step two, consider it. Actually find Jesus in the Bible. Step three is to actually follow the Jesus you're considering, right? As you begin to to learn more and read more and see more about who Jesus is, we should consider how our life lines up or, or doesn't line up with his, right? He's the example we're supposed to follow. He's the one we're supposed to look to so that we can run this race with endurance and lay aside the weight and the sin. And so as we're looking to him, we should see ways in which we need to be different, right? In the Gospels, we see how Jesus talks to people, how he treats people, how he sympathizes with people, how he feels compassion for people, how he bears with the failings of the weak, how he forgives, how he handles conflicts and disagreements, right? We see a living, breathing Jesus. And it's an example for us to follow, for us to imitate. So read the Bible to see Jesus. Step two, consider Jesus as you see him. And step three, actually follow his example so that you too can run the race with endurance. It's my hope for me. And it's my hope for all of you that 2024 is a year in which we actually consider Jesus, right? As we grow weary, that we would look to him and we would lay aside the weight. We would lay aside the sin that clings closely and we would run with endurance by looking to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that you are our example in it. And so we pray that you would, by your spirit within us, fix our eyes on you. That you wouldn't Let us be weighed down by lesser things. You wouldn't let us be distracted or drawn after lesser pursuits. That you would help us by your spirit to to put to death 
the sin that clings closely. And that you would empower us to run with endurance as we fix our eyes on you. Jesus, we know that you are our only hope in life and death. And that you're our only hope to not grow weary or faint-hearted. So help us to look to you as we seek to press on. It's in your name we pray. Amen.